Well, please have that text open in front of you in Psalm 106. And uh, we're looking this morning at verses 4 to 5 and uh, the covenant love of the Lord. And uh, maybe you spotted it as we've been singing through uh, some of these harvest uh, hymns. They're full of rich spiritual themes to harvest points us so much to gospel realities, but also to the wonder of who God is and that which he has done. And some would say, well, you know, why do you have harvest in times such as this? Surely that's a, you know, an old practice. Why bother with it now? But, you know, friends, it is so important for us to remember the good and faithful provision of God. Gratitude is a, a key mark of the believer's life. You know, gratitude guards our hearts. We consider this a little on Thursday, on Wednesday, you know. It guards our hearts from the enemy's attempts to sow dissatisfaction and bitterness, a whole manner of other things. And when we see the Lord as the giver of every good and perfect gift, we acknowledge again his love and his mercy towards us. And so as the harvest comes round again, it underlines his promises, his faithfulness, another year of his gracious provision and his providential care. You think of Genesis 8, 22, God reaffirms that he is a covenant God. And he says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And it shows us that he is a God that can be taken at his word. What he says is true. And God is gracious in the way that he sustains and preserves, even regarding those who remain in rebellion against him. Matthew 5, 45, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. You know, our God is good and he is always good. And we see that in his common grace towards man, but as we have mentioned already, his special grace towards his people. You know, our hearts should be full of thankfulness to the Lord, particularly as we count our blessings and consider that which he gives to us. All good gifts are sent from heaven, granted to us by a benevolent God. And we can trust him and we can look to him for daily mercies in all things. We can depend upon him. We can know that his promises are true. And so as we, we give thanks this morning for the Lord's goodness in material provision, you know, it points us to the greatest provision for our spiritual and eternal good. How blessed we are this morning if we have also received from his hand the greatest gift, that being new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have received that new life, then our desire should be to live a fruitful life for his glory. And to do that, we need to be those who are utterly dependent upon him. And so a day like today, every Lord's Day, and particularly as we remember this morning, this harvest reminds us of that dependence upon him. And, you know, we've got to actively pursue these things to purposefully remember because we are so quick to forget. And in our natural state, there is a, a determination amongst people to forget God, to set him aside. You know, people set up so many other things to, to take his place. They would much rather look to worship the created rather than the creator, as it says in Romans 1. You know, even when people are struck by the natural beauty and the order of the world around us, you know, they still won't acknowledge the hand of a mighty God. You know, when the seasons come and the seasons go, the, the laws of nature, you know, they acknowledge their existence, 
but they dismiss any idea of a sovereign God behind them. You know, that's true of providence. Instead of seeing the hand of God in a thing, people only look to the secondary causes. We are so quick to forget the God who is everywhere, always at work, overruling, sustaining, keeping. And thankfully, our God is a covenant-keeping God and his purposes cannot fail. And that's true in the great things, it's true in the small things. And so recounting his works of grace is vital in our lives as believers, his faithfulness, even in our weakness and waywardness. And that's why I wanted us to come to this psalm this morning, because in Psalm 106, we have an overview of the history of the people of God. It's one of a number of historical psalms, and one of the others is Psalm 105, And in fact, if you were to read the two side by side, you would see a great contrast between them. Both look at history, both look at the dealings of God with his people in the past, but there is a difference. When you read Psalm 105, it looks at this history from a very sort of positive point of view, in the sense that it doesn't charge the the people of God with their sin. It doesn't undermine or draw attention to their shortcomings in these Old Testament times. But then in Psalm 106, those things are the focus. And so verse by verse, you have a rehearsal of all of the the sin and the wickedness and the apostasy of the people of God in these Old Testament times. And so that's very pessimistic. So you have optimism, pessimism. And both views are valid and justified. And you say, "Well, well, how? Well, if you go and consider them next to each other, you'll find that Psalm 105 talks about what God does for his own people. And so there's a gladness, there is a a positivity over his gracious dealings. But then in Psalm 106, it doesn't deal so much with what God has done for the people, although that element is there, but it deals more with the people themselves, what they have done, their sin and their backslidings. You know, often people ask as time goes on in the history of this world, or as the church goes on, are things getting better or are they getting worse? I wonder how you'd answer that question. And it's an important question. Maybe we'd have many different views about it, but we could say that the answer is both. In some respects, things are better. In other ways, they are far, far worse. And that's what we see in these Psalms. And if if anyone should be interested in history, it is the people of God. But few people learn anything from the past. You know, there's a famous quotation from a German writer called Hegel. He says, history teaches that history teaches nothing. Now, what's he saying? He's saying this, that people never learn from history. Governments don't learn, leaders don't learn, and sadly, often churches and the Lord's people fail to learn from the mistakes of the past. And that's why the Lord has given us psalms such as these to show us the history of his dealings with his people, the lessons that we need to learn. That's why it's so important for us to remember, you know, because there are so many important instructions and lessons and guidance and teaching and principles which are so important for us in our situation today. You know, there's nothing new under the sun And the challenges that we face today, whilst maybe having a different veneer or appearance, they're not new issues underneath. 
And that's why passages like this are here in the Word of God and important for us to consider. That is why it is important to mark these occasions because it is a way of remembering the goodness of God and our dependence upon him. And our text is verses 4 to 5, and it's this prayer of the psalmist. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Now, if you were to read through the entire psalm, there is something that stands out about these verses. And the thing is this. They are the only verses where the psalmist speaks about himself. It's all in the first person. He is applying the lessons of history to himself. And so he refers to the people, he refers to God, he refers to the dealings of God, the sins of the people, but it is here in these verses that he speaks of himself and he says, remember me, O Lord, or visit me, Lord. Now, why is he doing that? Well, it's because as he looks back over the dealings of God with his people and the people's behavior before the Lord, he sees his own profound need of grace and help and mercy to live his life in this world to the glory of God. And so in other words, he is applying the lessons that he has seen from history to himself, to his situation, he sees his need. And so this is such a powerful prayer to enter into. It's full of depth and spirituality, and it is succinct. He's not praying for food or for drink or practicalities, house, job, whatever. No, it's a spiritual cry to do with his soul, to do with his spiritual good, his spiritual well-being. He says, remember me, O Lord, in all these ways. Visit me, O God. Make yourself known to me. You know, what can we learn from this cry. Well, I want you to see that living in difficult days is indeed just that. It is difficult. You know, I want you to see there are times in the experience of God's people when they face very dark days and when in God's purposes, he allows his people to face very sad and troubled times. And you know, this psalm, it carries with it that sense of sadness because of the people's repeated rebellion and disobedience. And it is sad because it's clear that things have gone very wrong and the people have turned away from the Lord. You know, let me give you some examples. Look, if you will, verses 6 to 7. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Verses 13 to 15, they soon forgot his works. They didn't wait for his counsel, for they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, tested God in the desert, and he gave them their requests, and he sent leanness into their soul. And so all the way through this psalm, there is this prevailing sadness when the, the actions of the people, their forgetfulness, their rebellion is highlighted, showing their waywardness and their mistakes. And my very dear friends, sometimes God causes his people to live in a sad time. You know, a time when there are many sad things all around them in this world. Sad memory of things that have gone wrong in the past. And this is part of the way that God deals with his people. You know, we know that all too well. 
You know, we've lived through a time which has seen such a, a descent into sin and the purposeful dismantling and removal of all biblical influence. You know, we've seen the country go into a moral nosedive and the, the consequences are awful and they're evident for all to see. And some of you who are older in years, you can see an even greater change in what has taken place. And it's true that the, the churches of Christ have faced many troubles. You know, there are, there are glimpses of encouragement, but the direction of travel is not in a good way. And we know that the, the landscape of Christianity is more cluttered, it is more complicated, there is much error and weak theology and, and casual Christian conduct and commitment. There is this drift away from the Word of God. And often churches look to worldly means and principles to try and secure their future. But trouble always comes in this. And as the Lord's people turn away from the Lord and turn away from his word and divisions are stirred up and sin is tolerated and there is discouragement and grumbling and looking to self rather than the Savior. And that's what we see in this psalm amongst the troubles that are identified throughout. The people forget God. They rebel against God. And it brings sad times. And my dearly beloved friends, you and I must seek strength to live in times like that. And that's what this text is doing. It shows us how to live in a dark and evil day when the, the clouds are all around us as the people of God. It's then that we cry, remember me, O Lord. Remember me with the favor that you have towards your people. And in the worst of times, to know that God is still working. And in the worst of times, that God is still with those who look to him and love him and serve him. That he's not forsaken those who truly seek his face. You know, Habakkuk 1 verses 2 to 3 is very similar. Let me read those verses for you. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? And in Habakkuk, he describes problems within the people of God. And again, they had forgotten God. They had strayed away from the Lord. And it seemed that there was no end in sight to it. That there was no prospect of change. And it was worse because it seemed that God was, was not intervening. And as Habakkuk sees it, he, he sees the timing of God. He says, how long will you, you tolerate this law? And he, he says, why do you allow this to, to continue, Lord? And these questions can be found in the thoughts and the lips of many discerning and thoughtful believers today as we look around at the situation and we see what is taking place. How long, Lord? How long will you allow this to continue? You know, why is it that the good, moral, all-powerful God whom we serve tolerates such spiritual and moral dry rot amongst those who profess to be his people? You know, and we wrestle with those questions. And if you do, you're not alone. It's not a new issue. God's faithful people have wrestled with such things throughout history. How long, Lord? Now, friend, we can be thankful that God is not so unkind as to answer our prayers in our time frame as we see fit. God's delays are never without purpose. You know, his view, his perspective is far more comprehensive than we could ever imagine. 
and he may delay so that he can deal with, you know, an area of disobedience in our lives or selfishness to prepare us or change us or teach us how to trust him or deliver us from ourselves. It's one reason why the Bible tells us again and again to wait on the Lord. Our disappointments, our failures, our confusion can be brought under the all-embracing security of God's loving purposes towards his people. And also, not only do we trust the Lord and wait upon him in these times, but we can follow, you know, Habakkuk's example, and we can cry out to him for help. You know, Habakkuk took his complaint to the only place where we have to take ours to the Lord. He recognized what the psalmist says, Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, the psalms are full of godly believers bringing their confusion and their questions to the Lord. And that sets the precedent for us. It, it gives us the way, the model for us to do the same. And the Lord is so gracious and he understands when we cry out, how long, Lord? And his ultimate answer is given to us in the Lord Jesus. And he loves to bring the glimmers of dawn after the darkest of nights. There's always hope with the Lord. And so as we look at the situation, as we see its bleakness, as we cry out, how long we are brought back to the battle to trust in him and to believe in him and to rest in his timing and his purpose and his promise to hope in him. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. It teaches us that sometimes the Lord causes us to go through these sad and difficult times which we'd rather not live through. You know, maybe we look back to better days when there was greater concern for the things of God, when there was deep spirituality and evident moves of God. Well, that is there. We are here. And we can't pretend that we're in a situation that we're not. We cannot change the providence of God. So we must take refuge as the psalmist does, as Habakkuk does. And he flees to God. He flees to God for grace to live in a dark an evil day. He says, oh Lord, I don't know how long this will last, but please remember me. Remember me and visit me. You know, we live in difficult days and it's not easy. And that's why it's so important for times like this to bring us back, keep us looking in the right place. And in those difficult times, I want also for you to see that the believer longs for tokens of God's love to them personally. So he cries out, but he's longing for the nearness of God. And notice in the midst of all the reference to the great God, to this great sweep of history, this is like a window into the soul of the psalmist. And he says, remember me, O Lord. And he says, oh God, visit me. Consider these things. Why should he want God to remember him? because he had enemies and the people of God in his day had enemies. And to be sure, our enemies will never remember us. They'll be only too glad to forget us. That's why the Lord's people suffer in this world. You know, at one point, they might have had friends who once walked with them, and when they became enemies, they forget you. They cast you off. They don't want to know you anymore. They cross the street to avoid you. They treat you as strange. When men forget us, we can always turn to our God and say, oh God, remember me. You know, it's perfectly illustrated in the life of Joseph. Do you remember the account of Joseph? You know, unjustly imprisoned. 
And inspired of God, he interprets the dreams for the baker and for the butler in Egypt. These dreams come true. The baker is beheaded after a few days, but the butler is restored for his place of honor, pouring out wine for the king, the pharaoh. Now remember what it says at the end of the chapter where Joseph had interpreted these dreams. Genesis 40, verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Conveniently, of course, he didn't forget him in every sense, but he didn't mention him to the king favorably because it wasn't in his interest to do so. And when people are selfish and self-centered, they don't do anything to help you, they forget you. And that's what happens to the people of God. You and I must not rely upon men to give us that help. We must be content to be sidelined if necessary. If we are doing the will of God, we can say, as the psalmist says, remember me, O Lord. That's what we long for, for God to look upon us and to remember us. You know, in the ultimate sense of salvation, wasn't that the cry of the thief on the cross? You know, in Luke 23, what did he say? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And as the thief looked to the man on the middle cross by amazing grace, he was given to see the one who is the king of glory, who was soon to leave this dark world and rise in majesty and sit down at the right hand of God, the only savior, his only hope. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The words of earnestness and faith in Jesus. And God hears the cry. He hears the cry of desperation and faith. And if the words of that man were sweet, the words of Christ our Savior were sweet as still when he said, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Not by works, all of grace. Jesus would remember him. You know, and as we think on the cry of the psalmist, we see that the Lord's people yearn for nothing less than an experience of God's covenant and electing love. Remember me, Lord. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that you have towards your people. And you say, well, what is that favor? Well, there's a, a general goodness in God. He's remarkably gracious to do good to his enemies as well as his friends. We call it common grace. The Lord Jesus speaks of it. It's what we've mentioned already today. He makes his sunrise on the evil, on the good, etc. He's kind to the unthankful and to the unholy. And we should be thankful for that in this country. We live in a wicked land. And yet still the Lord provides. But this is not what the Lord's people rest in. Of course, we're, we're so thankful for those general mercies. But that's not what we seek. Above all, no, the psalmist says, remember me, O Lord, with the favor, with the love that you have towards your people. And that is electing love. It is distinguishing love. It is covenant love. It is the love which brings redemption. It is the love which brings us to a state of grace and eventually through his mercy to a state of glory. And he speaks of the everlasting love and the, the full salvation that comes to us in the Lord Jesus. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, in the midst of all that's going on, remember me and let me know and experience that saving love, that deep, everlasting love that you have for me. He says, remember me. And he says, visit me with your salvation. 
He wanted to go through all those experiences which God gives to his true people. You know, effectual calling, regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, assurance, eventually glory, all of those things. He says, Lord, I want you and I need you. Please visit me. You know, that is what he wanted, nothing less than that. And surely, my friends, if we're believers, that's what we long for. We're not content with things, although we're grateful for them and we give thanks to God for them, houses, cars, food, money, all those things. We're glad and thankful to God for that. But that's not what we're really hungry for. We're hungry and thirsty for the spiritual blessings of God whereby we shall be visited with his salvation. We long for him. And especially in the midst of our trials. And we have to remind ourselves that the Lord Jesus loves us in the gospel and he loves us as much today as ever he did. He loves us even in the the darkest moments. He thinks about us every moment of every day. We're on his heart. And Paul knew it, just as the psalmist did as well. You know, think of Paul, imprisoned, prevented from his desire to preach, to plant churches, to spread the gospel. And as he wrote to these Ephesians, he's behind bars, he's in chains, as it were, no doubt tempted to complain, disappointed and and tempted to give in to all the frustration of that. And what does he pray for those believers in himself? Ephesians 3. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he wants all believers to know it and to experience it. You know, maybe you've known those times in your walk with the Lord when you've risen up from prayer and your heart is overflowing with a sense of the love of Christ. That young glory, as one Puritan calls it, begun below a taste of the greater to come, but nonetheless a substantial enjoyment of that same love. And in our text, that's what the psalmist is is crying out for. He's praying for deliverance, for forgiveness, to be remembered of the Lord, and to know the love of God. And as he looked over the sin and the rebellion of the people, he is moved in his own heart to call on the Lord. You know, if you were to go through this psalm, all of the sins of this psalm can be identified in society today. You know, you see it, idolatry, blasphemy, all of those things. And the consequence of knowing all of this should have a spiritual effect upon our minds and hearts. And we should say to God, just as the psalmist does, Oh Lord, in the light of all that I see around about me in this world, Oh Lord, please visit me. Visit me with this salvation that you promised. Don't leave me like this world. Don't leave me like those false Israelites and false professors. Make me a true child of God. Put your spirit in my heart. Make me to know you, to be right with you. Grant me to know that covenant love in my life. A hungry soul longing for the blessing of God. You know, as we finish... It is such a relevant prayer for the people of God today. You know, we live in an age when evil continues to abound. We have lived in a time when as we look back, we see even in the churches of Christ in our nation, a a great turning away from the Lord, great departures from the great truths. And so we need to pray, oh Lord, remember me, 
Keep me with the challenges all around. Please visit me. Don't let my love for you grow cold. Keep me from going to sleep in this dangerous generation. Keep me from drifting into carnal-mindedness. Oh, God, save me from living for this present dangerous, broken world. Keep my feet from falling and my eyes from tears. Oh, Lord, remember me. And we need to call upon him for that. And thank God he hears the prayers of the sincere and of his people who come to him in the Lord Jesus. And surely we too are longing for God to visit us again as with this man. Oh, visit me with your salvation. You know, we're here to worship and to glorify the Lord, but also we should have come today longing for him to meet with us, that we would know his presence and his reality in our midst. And we come because we know that Christ dwells in the midst of his people. And we long and we pray that God would come again in mighty power as in the days of our fathers and he will glorify himself and revive his people upon earth in a marvelous way and bring them to life in this dark and evil world that God will come upon us and do great things. Surely that's our heart. And you know, if you were to look at the very end of the psalm, that's how it ends. Look at verses 47 to 48. Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and that all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. How we need God to help us today. How we need the Lord to comfort us today. How we need the Lord to remember us and visit us today. And you know, we can come with great hope because as harvest reminds us, he is faithful and his promises are forever sure. And we need to look, my dear friends, to the one who can help us, to the great provider, to the Lord, to Christ, our only hope in life and death. The psalmist lived in difficult days. The psalmist wanted to know the reality and love of God in his life. And he came to the God who promised that he would know such things. May it be that we will too. And may it be that we will look nowhere else but to our great God for salvation and for sustaining both now and forever. Amen. Amen.